When we started in tandem five years ago, we were literally out of my house. We had my basement full and all of my product, all of my samples, all of my online stores (laughs) were done out of the basement of my house. And then I guess it was two years ago, we moved into this space. And when we moved in, we walked around and we said, oh, this is a good five to 10 year plan for the for us and our direction where we're going. There's no way that we're going to max this out. This is perfect for us. And now three years later, we have two people in one office, three people in another office, two people in another office, another person, two people in the back, extra fulfillment. We can't even fit all of our warehouse and our catalog programs back there. So... We'll be moving this summer. Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common Skew. Sarah Webb began her career in the industry as a college student working for Nevins Group. Fast forward, and in 2013, Sarah opened In Tandem Promotions, a creative and vibrant promotional products distributorship located in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Sarah published an article talking about these first five years and wrote, It sounds cliche, but five years in and I've worked harder and longer than I did when I was just starting out. Owning a business means that you give it all that you are and all that you have. You hustle. You work late nights. You seek constant balance. You don't get to shut your computer down at night or turn off your phone for texts. You don't take vacations without being accessible. In owning a successful business that beats the odds, you give it all you have 24-7. You will face adversity. You will encounter hills and valleys. Just keep moving. Tweak what you've learned. Do not stop. Do not allow fear to consume you. Mark Graham and I were on an epic four-state, five-city tour through the South when we stopped into In Tandem Promotions to visit with Sarah and her wonderful team. What follows is our conversation about Sarah's entrepreneurial journey through a fast-growing and successful distributorship. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. To learn more or to start your free trial, visit CommonSkew.com. And now our conversation with Sarah Webb. So if we back up five years ago, tell me how you got into the promotional products industry. By sheer luck. So I was working for a company that did, they were a dot-com company. They were based out of Seattle and they were here in Atlanta. And at the time, my fiance at the time was going to Georgia Tech. I was in my last term of school. And the company that I worked for, they did all of the um, IT development, all of the IT build-outs. That was, used to be a thing when you have your whole server room back in the back. Remember that? And so I worked for that company, and they decided to close up shop right before the bubble burst. And when they did, I was paying for our house. We had just put a down payment on our house. We had, were paying for our wedding. We were finishing up our last terms at school. And I freaked out. And so this is when you faxed. Yes, you actually faxed your resume. I know, totally dating myself. And I probably sent out 100 resumes. And by sheer luck, Nevin's group at the time uh, gave me a call. And they allowed me to come in. And I interviewed. And they saw something in me that I would be a good asset to the company. 
So they hired me. And my first day, I got a swag bag. And again, I'm a college student. I have no money. I mean, we've just, I've just lost my job. And I got a swag bag. And from then on, I was totally hooked. Um, and what was really cool was I worked for two of the most amazing salespeople. So I worked for Larry Moran. He's now a vice president over at Logomark. And then I worked for Sally Friedman. And so Larry was complete creative. I mean, he, and this was when four-color digital process wasn't a thing. He would come up with these ideas, and then we'd actually have to execute them, meaning me. He would sell it in, and then I'd have to figure out how to make this happen. And so, you know, learning how to build programs and things like that were just was awesome. And then Sally was total opposite. So she was detail-oriented. Everything had a ledger. We, I knew the ins and outs of which factories to use for what. And so the training background that I had was phenomenal for me to continue growing and building in this industry. You mentioned that there was something magical that happened when you received that swag bag on your first day of work. Tell me about that feeling. Like, What was it about the bag that made you feel so excited and how did that make you fall in love with the industry that we're in right now? There was nothing in it that was ridiculous. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't a laptop bag. It wasn't polo shirts. It wasn't, you know, any of the things that we give away now for new hires. It was a stadium cup that was in Nevin's teal, uh, which is why all of our walls are in teal. And that's where our, our color comes from is from Janelle Nevins. Um, and there was some pens and some notebooks, but it made me feel like I was part of something, that they valued me as an employee, that they wanted me to come home, and that this was my welcome home gift. And I, I loved it. I loved it. That experience working for um, Larry and Sally, apprenticeship is typically the number one method used for training in the industry of some kind, of some sort. And that's definitely what you underwent there. How did that experience working for them affect the way you onboard and train people now in your own organization? Did it have a big impact on? Absolutely. So part of that onboarding process was just having to figure, figure things out. It was them having faith in me to do my job. They weren't familiar. We had a, an operating system at the time that they, they didn't know how to work. They, didn't, they weren't putting in their own purchase orders. They weren't this is when you overnighted those. Gamma radar. Yes. So they weren't doing any of that. Right. And so I think the biggest key takeaway was to have faith, to give the direction, show me where are you trying to go with this, and then let me figure out how to get us there. And I think that's how I lead now. This is where we're going. This is the why. And then part of it, too, is because I've been doing this for a long time, I tend to be stuck in my old ways. Common skew, the conversion with common skew was was part of that and part of that opportunity and saying, look, Sarah, let's let's try something in a different direction. And that's one of the key factors for us at In Tandem is please prove me wrong. So anybody that we interview, we want them to know that it is not the Sarah show. My this is how I've been trained and this is what I know. Show me a better or a different or a new way, and then let's explore it and, and see what works. You know, we don't have to agree or disagree. Let's, let's just figure it out together. It seems as though you've seen some significant growth in a short amount of time. 
based on the the growth of employees and the space that you've outgrown for faster than you anticipated. What do you attribute that growth to? Well, I think it's been also a long time coming. So just like any country music singer who's been on the road and has hit the road and has beaten down the doors and and they're an overnight success, I kind of feel like that's where in tandem is. So I've been in this business for over 20 years. So for right. me, it doesn't feel, it feels like we've been on this road for a really I hear you, sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. You know, but a large part of it is definitely our employees. I mean, they are out there singing the praises of in tandem. It's our clients that are interacting with us and referring us. It's our partners who are talking about us and referring clients and, I mean, it's the whole industry. It's um, it's sharing our vision and then people wanting to be a part of it, I think is what has attributed to our growth. I'm always interested in this industry as to the founding value proposition of distributors when they first start off. And I think that any successful distributor that puts their stamp in this industry usually starts with a very firm conviction as to where they exist in the marketplace. So when Intandem got its start, what was what was your place within the industry and how did you want to communicate that to your clients? I knew what I didn't want to be. Which was? I was petrified of becoming a big blue. So if you think about and you know some of corporate America where it's they just have one logo and this is who they are and this is their box and there's no personality. Um, And there were a lot of distributorships at the time as I was figuring myself out that were very similar. They were scared to put the faces of their team. They were scared to say who their personality was and, and what they stood for. I remember one thing in particular stood out. I went to the Digital Summit, and I think this is when my brain flipped in what I knew I could not do anymore. Atlanta has this amazing thing. It's called the Digital Summit, and it's three days of just content and new strategies and social and websites. And and I came back and I literally had a notebook full of ideas because this was when, you know, Facebook started going crazy on the corporate side and socially people were putting themselves out there and companies were putting themselves out there. And I had all of these reasons why the company that I was with previously should be doing this. And it was more out of fear that they didn't want to implement it. Fear or timing or, you know, multiple things. And what I did not want to become was that. I wanted to be, I wanted to have our brand and who we are, whether I'm part of it or not, this um, fun and organic and branding with purpose and, and some great content and fun company versus, you know, we're the next big blue. Bobby and I have been speaking a lot in our long car ride through Tennessee and now uh, Georgia about how I think the most successful companies in our industry, whether they're distributors or suppliers, uh, put product second. It's, it's either it's a people personality forward business or it's a movement forward business. Like there's something that's higher, there's a, almost like a higher purpose 
to the company than just the products. Because at the end of the day, I look around your beautiful showroom and we could probably identify the products and SKUs from the suppliers that we all work with. And at the end of the day, without the Sarah magic, the, the personality-driven brand, the opinion you, you have about your clients' brands and the value you can bring, you're no different than anyone else. Right. And, and, and I think there's something to be said for that. And I know when I got first got into the industry almost 18 years ago, it felt to me that there was a lot more homogeneity. Yes. And now it feels like over the last five or 10 years, you really have this emergence of these personality forward distributors that are coming out of the woodwork. And I, I don't know why that is, but it's really exciting for our industry because it gives our industry a really great name. So kudos to you for leading the charge. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think part of the change is that the newer generations, as they are, they're coming up, brand is so important to them. And just as it's always been for us, but it's so important. And I think that they want to buy from people that they know and trust. And so putting yourself out there is the key for marketing and branding yourself in today's time. Can you tell us a little bit about the types of clients you work with and also the types of clients you won't work with? I know you said you do company stores and you do a little bit of, of that. Who is your ideal type of client? My favorite clients that we have are, um, are all of them, of course, but my favorite ones are the ones where we can come in and we're, we're part of them. We're part of their company. We're part of their marketing team. They value us. So we come in at the first of the year. We have an idea of what their brand strategy is for the year. And as we're going to these shows, as we're seeing products, as we're moving things forward for their events, then we're able to put together that full package where the product is not last but first. And those are, are my favorite because we can really make some amazing campaigns and programs for that. Are there particular industries you work with? Is it retail, insurance, banking, uh, finance, or, or well, is so it just a variety? That's an interesting question. I think right. that I was, you know, I went through the dot-com bust mm -hmm. and I watched a number of distributorships close. Right. I went through the housing bust and I watched a number of distributorships close. So I think that I'm a little bit gun shy. I don't have one client that makes up more than 8% of our wow, business. That's great. So, and that's important for me. But then I think that is where my value add is. So if you're in construction and you're wanting to target a um, technology company to build out their space, I know the products that are going to fit for that IT company and vice versa. So because we work with such a wide range of industries, I can be an expert in helping provide that strategy for them. It's really hard to figure out what's on a CEO's desk. Like what, what's their day-to-day -day like? And do you have, number one, a favorite project you worked on the past year? And number two, what's on your desk right now that would shed a little light oh, on who Sarah boy. Webb is? <laughs> Ouch. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I'm one. scared for you to go, even go upstairs right now to see. So project-wise, from a company standpoint, it has taken us five years to do our website. Five mm. long okay. and painful years. What was so hard for me was that I wanted that vision that I kept seeing in my head of who we are to be very transparent to the person that would go to our website. I mean, I went through multiple designers and graphics and um, concepts. And when it finally 
has happened and has launched, and I'm very pleased with the outcome. And then I'm very pleased and excited about what's coming next. But it took us five years to do what I said that we yeah. were going to do. So you, that, that's your favorite project. You built a it's canvas sure. that you yeah. that you now are looking forward to using and painting yes. on, basically, yes. so you can put content in it and do all the things that you want to do with it. Yes. What's on your desk right now? Right, oh, right now. So we're working on two new web applications where we're going to be working more on the sales incentive side. So branding companies with um, sales incentive programs and packages, and then what that means and is reflected in the consumer base. So we're doing mock-ups and understanding what all the back-end how is it all going to link? And then what are the social components? What's out there socially to link it all together? And then how do we create the brand strategy behind all of that? So that's that's my that's the disaster of my office right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Very insightful. It's a good glimpse yeah. of what's going on there. So I read the article about your first five years in business. And I want to ask you for questions about this. So what advice would you have for new distributors about? Like, so you, had to, you touched on multiple topics. There's so many things we can ask, yeah. ask you about, given your experience in the business and then your success you've had here. So I have a few specifics. What advice do you, would you have for new distributors of managing cash flow, cash flow? You said that was one of the most important aspects of managing your business, obviously, for, for any entrepreneur in the past five years. What have been your biggest lessons learned about that? Any stories you care to share about that? Uh, absolutely. So number one is your reputation is everything. So I came from another distributorship and I was known for how I treated my partners. Um, if there was a mistake or an error, we, we worked out it t together. It was not in my or their best interest for me to hurt the other party just because a situation happened. And so, um, and that's how I want to be treated as well. If a situation arises, then I'd like for my clients to have the same level of respect and understanding for us as well. That's number one, is that my, my reputation with how I treated my partners and then how I sold. So they knew that they could trust me. They knew that I had the sales backing to support me. And those relationships built. And when I first, I'll, I'll never forget this. I was sitting on the phone and I called um, David Walker with HIT and I was asking for terms. I had no credit. I had an American Express credit card that American Express was putting out against my personal, <laughs> my personal life. I didn't have an office space. I wasn't even sure if I was going to have clients that were coming over, right, or new clients that I was building out. And I called David Walker, and he said, whatever you need. They extended me credit. Um, and then uh, uh, Jim Sidney with Sanmar, absolutely 100% the same thing. And so they had complete faith in me. And to this day, they are my largest partners because... They took a chance on me. But, I mean, number one is having that reputation and treating your partners fairly, and that sustains you. Mm, that's so good. That's really good. What have you learned about building a team that's specific? Maybe you answered this a little earlier. You know, do you hire from within the business, from outside? Have you identified the best type of salesperson, type of production person? What have you learned about managing a team? No, I don't know any of that. <laughs> that's hard stuff. I, I, I don't know any of that. So... I think the one thing that I have learned is that 
there are lots of personalities. And just like any man that you're going to be married to, you can't change a person. So you can hire on what you think you're hiring and the person that you think that you're hiring. But that's that person. You're hiring that person. You can't force fit a person into a role or a position. And as much as I see the potential and I'm like, oh, well, this person could be so good. If it's not within them and it's not, if they don't have the drive and they don't have the desire, you can't, you can't force it. So I think, you know, from, from, I've had some amazing, and I still have the best team ever, but then there's been some situations that have happened where I'm like, oh, okay, I learned from that. That was, that was a great lesson in life right there. It's never ending on that, on that part. No, it's, it's never. never but I think what's, what's been cool is, you know, like Katie Pereira, she was a previous client of mine. She managed me on the vendor side. And so I saw how she interacted with me, again, with respect and asking the right questions and very detail-focused. And I asked her if she wanted to come join us. Now, when she came here, there was no furniture in this office. So this was when we first... <laughs> and I'm like, I promise I have money in the bank, and I'm pretty sure I have some clients. <laughs> like, take a chance on me. Come on over. It'll be great. I have no idea what you're going to do. But she runs all of our programs, and she's phenomenal at it. And then uh, Kim Fouch, I met her on the soccer fields. She was working in the retail industry, and she did a lot of the warehouse and fulfillment, you know, as um, things were coming into the stores on the retail side. She was having to work weekends and crazy hours and was missing a lot of the soccer games. And I said, well, I don't quite know how many online stores we're going to have, but let's just see if you want to come on over. Good. Is that a big part of your business, online stores? Oh, it's a, it does make up about half of our business. Really? So, huh. yes, we have about half online stores and then half drop ship. Okay. And you do obviously do warehousing and fulfillment yourself? Yes. Yeah. And we have a team. We have a team, but it's all done in-house. Okay. Got, yeah. it. Got it. And that's my favorite part of the job, too. You know, when you had said projects, you could go in, you know, promotional projects or what's my projects, my favorite Promotional projects that I love are the ones that are more than just a one color, one location pen. Yeah, you sure. Know, the ones where there's my biggest focus is definitely branding with purpose. So I don't want to just give a pen to somebody. I want it to have a reason and a, a source behind it. You know, if you're going to a recruiting event, you need to direct who you're recruiting back to a website where they can see what careers are available. So just simple things that you can do. And so that fulfillment side is absolutely makes up a lot of our business. For yeah, sure. Interesting. Yeah. What did you think running your own business would be like versus the reality of it five years oh, later? Oh, I thought I was going to be eating bonbons and doing quotes all the time. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know pop up in a bottle of wine yeah, every now and again. Yeah. And they say this about chefs that, that want to open their own restaurant. They're, they think that we're going to be working on menu items and come up with delicious dishes when they're actually trying to get the toilet fixed and the other things that are going on running. A <laughs> oh my gosh, a hundred percent true. Right, so, right. um, you know, I'm replacing toner and I'm taking out the trash and right. I'm hiring and, you know, we're, um, we're redoing the showroom. I'm working on build outs for the new office. We're building a website. I mean, I, I seriously thought that I was going to, still maintain my role in sales and um that was and then it was just going to be like 10 percent all the other stuff right. no that's not how it works yeah. <laughs> <So true. laughs> that's not how it works <laughs> 
think that's a good segue into understanding the roles that you love the most about being the owner of the business versus the roles that you hate or that you're hopeless at doing. What, what are those on both sides? So I'll tell you the hardest thing I've had to let go of is my background is um, I was a dual marketing and finance major. So I love the creative side and I love the finance side. I love the numbers aspect of, of what we do and, you know, figure Sounds like you're a unicorn. That's very unusual. (laughs) (laughs) Equal left and right brain. (laughs) But so the hardest part for me to give up as an owner has been the accounting side, uh, which is why when my team said we are moving to common skew, whether you like it or not, I was like, I have to relinquish some control here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but that has been the best blessing of Common Skew. And also the coolest part about having a company like this is, again, putting people in the right places. So Kim started out on the program teams, as I mentioned. She was doing that as well as some of our billing entry because at the time we didn't have enough in the warehouse business to support full time, right? So she was working on the billing side. So she knew enough about our back end to be able to be you know, efficient and working through the program side. Well, we're doing so much volume wise that we really need two people in accounting now. And so she's going to move down to the invoicing side. And it's because of common ski, because in QuickBooks, you can't, there's, there's not really a good scenario for how you're billing out your clients. Right. And so common ski has given us that vehicle to be able to create that. Um, so Kim is moving to that, but that has been the hardest thing for me to let go because I knew the margins, I knew every order, it was all in my head, I was so such a control freak. Um, so I'm super excited to kind of be able to let that phase go. And the, the favorite, my favorite part of my job, my favorite day is when I'm selling. It's still hands down. I love talking with the clients, I love brainstorming. Um, and then my other favorite part of the day is brainstorming on in tandem. And what are we going to do next? And what's coming up? And what do I not see? And, you know, they're, they're talking a lot about voice now versus just social media and how is voice going to make an impact on the next wave. And so what does that look for our industry? And how do I start preparing for that side now? You mentioned this difficulty in giving up control, and I can <laughs> very much identify with that as a kindred spirit. And, and I'm curious now that you've had some experience with the new platform, whether you've still been able to jump back into the number side of the platform to be able to see and make sure that margins are still upheld. And is that giving you the confidence while you're still able to now go out and sell? It's almost like, do you, do you feel that you've got the, have the best of both worlds in terms of confidence in the numbers and being able to look at them, but at the same time being able to go out and spend most of your time selling? Yes. So um, I love the report side. Uh, all of the reports show me exactly where where we are, what's and that's something that QuickBooks couldn't tell me. I would So in QuickBooks, I would say, okay, open invoices are... X hundred thousand dollars. Okay, then let's assume a 30% margin or a 40% margin or a whatever margin. Okay, this is how much money we're going to make. And that's literally how I had to figure out, you know, what 
What does our future look like? And you can't really have that conversation with a bank. You can't have that conversation with, you know, any of the clients that you're having the RFP, you're submitting an RFP with. So this definitely provides us with the vehicle to, I feel comfortable, you know, this is the range where we need to be in. If it falls below, we need to have a conversation, but also to help see where the sales people are going and how we can support them better. I mean, I had... I had no idea. I mean, we were guessing on a lot of things, and I couldn't tell how many presentations one salesperson was doing versus another salesperson. I couldn't tell which ones were actually closed. We used Dropbox, and we had all of our PowerPoints saved. And we would, by the end of the year, we probably have you know four, five hundred PowerPoints, right? But I couldn't tell you my close rate on those, or if we had followed up, or if like what's going on here, and so. Yes, I feel like CommonSkew has given me some breathing room where I can, again, put people in positions. I know what's going on. I can help and support the people that need the help and support. And then I can go back to doing what I was supposed to be doing from the beginning. (laughs) One more question, and I'll give it back to you, Bobby. You mentioned this this moment when you had your staff that said, Sarah, we need a change. We need to look at, at another way of running the business from a software perspective. Can you paint a picture for me as to what was happening at that point in the business that led your staff with like <laughs> pitchforks pitchforks <laughs> at the door that said, Flame hey, Sarah, doors. I know that you don't want to make a change, but we need to make a change to something else. What was happening in the business at that time that, that led them to the door, so to speak? We really had, just like this building, we had outgrown our current situation. And the invoices were piling up. The bills were piling up. I couldn't, and again, I'm doing all of my invoicing as well as building the company, creating a website, trying to sell, hire people. I mean, come on, Sarah. So I think at one point I looked around and they said, you know, we have all these presentations. And so every year what we would do is we would have... um, We'd work with our designer and come up with a new PowerPoint template slide. And I thought, okay, this is the year where we're going to kind of automate some of this. We can totally automate this. Okay, Sarah. So I said, I wonder if we could put in a formula. So let's do an Excel spreadsheet that has a formula. So every slide would then, we would say, okay, you know, we want it to be at this percent and this percent. Um, and so that you, the salespeople could just plug it in and we would all know what was going on. We were going through that phase. And what we would do every year once we had our template build is that we would have what we call our stock presentations. So these are our, our favorite desk accessories for the year, our favorite pens and notebooks and journals and whatever. Usually those decks would get huge. I mean, you're talking 150. And throughout the year, we would create a new presentation and then bring over new slides, right? So I remember us sitting down here at the conference room, and we were going to divvy up. So this is right before Vegas, and we were going to divvy up who was responsible for what category. And they said, Sarah, this is not working. And I said, what do you mean? This is how we've always done it. What are you talking about? Of course, we do this every year. This is no big deal. Why are you guys even giving me this conversation now? We're right in the middle of our busiest season. Come on, just get this dang slides together. Let's go. They said, we're at a different level now. We're no longer the same company that we were five years ago. We can't continue to operate like this, and you can't grow us if we don't have the platform necessary. And so they said, at least 
let's look at the accounting side so you can get back to selling. Because, it, it, I mean, my weekends would literally be spent doing invoices. That was really when it started. So we started going back through, you know, we went through Vegas and met with a few companies, but the solutions were not the full package that we needed. The sales team was young and they were growing and trying to build things out. So we definitely needed the front end side. I think part of my freak out was, um, again, lack of control. Um, I liked that our presentations were a certain format and we could change it up, you know, whether it was like a baseball presentation or so I liked some of that. And um, I know that there's certain companies and groups within the industry where they all leverage the same platform. So again, going back to my fear of being a big blue, my fear of us saying, okay, well, distributor A did the same presentation that distributor B did, and it's the same format, and it's the same, and that's not who in tandem is. Um, so, you know, we've we've created some different content and, and kind of revised it, but that was where my biggest fear was coming from, was saying, you know, and with all of our program business, the accounting side you know, running the profit and loss statements to see, because programs are very expensive. So making sure that all of the costs are are being captured and things like that were all of my type A yeah. personality. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, what do you love about this business? Oh, what don't I love about it? Really? I mean, this is, um, I can't imagine. I mean, I really think about that interview Um because of all those resumes that I faxed, uh, had sent out, Nevins was my only callback, my only one. And um, if that wasn't fate's intervention or higher power, whatever you want to call it, I don't know what is because this is what I was meant to do. I love the product. I love every challenge. Um, you know, I love the highs and the lows. I love it when my clients are saying, okay, Sarah, now, I'm going to give you these three referrals because they, they picked up whatever we were giving away, but you got to give us the first pick of next year. I love hearing the stories. You know, we got so much leads, and I love the variety. I mean, I can't imagine trying to sell anything else where you have this many possibilities with this number of factories, and if you don't like any of those, we can custom create something for you. I mean, right? And it has the lasting staying power. We're building companies. I mean, we are literally building companies so that they're memorable and clients are coming back and we're creating those stories. And that's, I don't know any other industry that does that. Either that or I'm just a little bit tainted. <laughs> We've been kicking around this theory. Maybe it's not that much of a theory or why, that whys. I probably stole it from somewhere. I just can't remember where. Is that through the years, and you and I and Mark have been doing this a long time, so I, you might be able to validate what we think is a, a solid assumption here, is that the respectability of swag as a form of identity has really grown through the years. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it, we were trinkets and trash. If you said swag, it was a bad word. Right. It was, you know. Right. Um, right. I, I think it's a different world now. Yeah. I think it's it's never been a better time to be a distributor. Absolutely. It's never been more efficient. It's never been more e economical. Things like, and I, I say this with complete non-bias, which is going nobody's going to buy this. With, with things like Common Ski, with the tool, you can work from anywhere. Yeah. You're not anchored to the desk. The possibilities are limitless. You've never had more customization capabilities at your fingertips than ever before. So it's it's never been a better time to be in the business. Right. What I also find interesting about that, and I, I would tend to agree that there's never been any better time to be in the business, but 
the same time, there's all sorts of reasons why it's never been tougher to be in this business. And I, I love, and so if you go to Expo as all, or we all do, or ASI shows, and there will be folks that you'll run into that will be dejected, beaten down. They'll be concerned about the millennials, or they'll be concerned about the Amazon effect, or they'll be concerned about four imprint or whatever bugaboo there is out there. And, and believe me, they are scary. But I think that the, the people who thrive today are the ones that see those challenges and see the opportunities in them. And if they adjust and they adapt, then it's a bright blue ocean that's out there. I totally agree. I, I think one of the biggest challenges that I've had to learn is, and, and a word that I say over and over again, is perseverance and then on purpose. So being able to understand that whatever the situation is, having the strength to continue to move forward and change and keep it going. And then on purpose is, you know, understanding the direction that your clients want to go and being purposeful with every action, being purposeful with every interaction. And that really is the the key for, for today. I mean, I remember when e-commerce first came into our industry. Yeah. We all thought that the doors were going to close. Right. I seriously remember there was um, probably a good month or two where I literally brought home all of my personal effects <laughs> back and forth because I was never right. sure when the doors were going to be closed and locked. Right. That was just over e-commerce. And now right. look at the benefit that it's provided us all. Yeah, absolutely. So. You're seated across from a 20-year-old young entrepreneur. She's starting her own distributorship and asks you a hard question. What's the most important quality needed to thrive in this business? Mm. So I would say there's just one. Um. <laughs> okay. Or two or three. So you would correct her. You would, that's, that's a great answer that you would correct her and say there's not just one. There's definitely not just one. I think in this business, perseverance is, is so important. You know, the orders are going to fall apart you're, that you've worked on for months. Partners are going to slip up. Clients are going to mess up. I mean, it's just things happen. And so being able to pick yourself up, understand what happened, and then continue moving forward. Relationships are vital. I mean, you can't, I've seen just people just not treat people fairly or right, both on the distributor side and on a vendor side, a factory side, and then even on the client side, you know, I think just being a good person and building the relationships. And then I think the third thing is to never stop learning. Uh, I've watched a lot of individuals where they're set, and trust me, I have my own set in ways, but learning, reading, um, you know, going to Common Skew University, and um, I'm actually participating in a class right before that uh, for women entrepreneurs to see things from a different perspective and to understand what's going on in the marketplace. But those three fundamentals, I think, are the key to being able to continue to move yourself forward and handle whatever life throws at you. Well, you're a great role model, and this has been a great conversation with you, Sarah. It's Thank you. fun to see your operation and how much success you've had, and we've had a great time here with you today. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.